Well, comrade, what now? Straightforward conversation. Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. What's up, everybody? My name is Drew. How's it going? Hey, hey. So for those of you who were sitting on the edge of your seat, waiting and hoping for an episode to drop last week, unfortunately, we weren't able to do it because we both came down with a bug of sorts. So you I know, had COVID. it's not a good place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we both were sick. Yeah. So it wasn't uh, yeah, a fun my, place to be. I'm still getting over the symptoms. I think my voice might sound different. So any listeners might have to bear with it. But uh, yeah, much better shape than last week. Because mm-hmm. I think last week, I just wouldn't really have been able to talk very long. Mm-hmm. Well. How are you doing, Albert? As, as a young man at this state in their life, you'll, you'll find that your body is going through many changes. You'll find that your voice is changing. You might start to notice hair in random places that you didn't notice it before. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh Yeah. I'm just uh, giving you the talk. All right. Tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah. You might start to notice girls, girls that you didn't (laughs) notice before. (laughs) (laughs) I can, I can honestly tell you as an Asian, uh, I, I've no one has ever given me the talk, so I've all I've got is television to go on in in terms of what the talk is supposed to sound and look like. Yeah, same here. My parents, my dad definitely never yeah. talked to me about stuff like that. Yeah, I learned I learned about the birds and the bees the old-fashioned way, street people, on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever taken Muni in San Francisco, that's the perfect place to learn about it. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. It's pretty much the streets, public school, and comic books. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's why I, I expected when puberty came along that I would develop some sort of special mutant power. Instead, <laughs> I was just a mutant without the yeah. powers. <laughs> yeah. One of those mutants that just got the short end of the stick. You get the physical yeah. deformity, but you don't get anything special. You don't you yeah. can't fly. You can't shoot beams out of your eyes. Yeah. You don't have healing factor. Just have hair in very weird places on your body, and funny smells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I didn't expect that this episode was going to be a, a vague conversation about puberty, but sure, here we go. <laughs> yeah, you always take us to interesting places, Albert. Yeah. Uh, you know, tell my dates. <laughs> uh, it's tough because it seems like after you take them to wherever you take them, there's no one to talk to afterwards. Yeah, they don't. I might take them to interesting places, but they don't stay for very long. <laughs> Either that, or they just never leave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so this week we're gonna begin our monthly read through. Uh, last, what the year before that we did Invincible, and last year, uh, oh no. We did the origin, 
we yeah, I don't remember the order, but we do, we've done a couple of these already. Yeah, it was last so, year we did Deadly Class in 2023, and then 2022 yes, yes. we did Mobile Suit Gundam: The Origin, and the mm-hmm. year before that we did Invincible. We did Invincible. Yeah. So, man, time flies. We are on year four of this project. Yeah. Isn't that impressive? I'm impressed. It is. It is. Yeah. We started this podcast back in what October of 2017. I'm pretty sure that's when we began. I'll take your word for it. My 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 memory in terms of like details like that are for not. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But uh, it's been good. I think uh, yeah. doing the monthly read through episodes gives us a sense of structure, and it's just fun yeah. to go through an entire series over the course of a year. Um, exactly. Yeah, once one episode a month dedicated to a specific series. Yeah. We're not just groping blindly in the darkness. Uh, we, it's like you said, it gives us some structure, which is excellent. So you know, those of you who, who follow along and listen because you know for whatever reason you like us or enjoy our content, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you keep coming back, but okay, sure. We appreciate um, it. Yeah, we appreciate it nonetheless, and uh, we we hope that it's it makes it easier for you to follow along. But that being said, Drew, what are we working on this year? So in 2024, we are reading through the DC series Solo. Solo is a DC anthology series in which each issue functions as a dedicated spotlight on one specific artist. Each issue is 48 pages with no ads and gives the artist a chance to do whatever stories he wants within those pages and sometimes they choose to collaborate with other writers or colorists. So the, I think the big difference with what we're doing this year is that we're doing a series that was only 12 issues as opposed to, you know, multiple dozens of issues where we would yeah. usually in the past read like an entire volume of something. This mm-hmm. time around, we're reading a single issue every month. But the catch is that each issue is an anthology spotlight on a specific right, right. artist so it really gives us a chance to talk about that specific artist and not only the work that he does in the issue but maybe a chance to discuss his broader work overall yeah yeah i got a quick question drew yeah so when you were were reading the description of solo was that was that off the book blurb was that no uh, that's just a description that i wrote down in my notes oh okay okay because I was going to say, um, there's a blurb in the book that I think would uh, should be included for people yeah. who want to know about this. And, you know, we should mention it. It's, Sock uh, it to them. Yeah, it's, uh, the, the blurb is, Solo, when Solo lives, terror dies. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. the Solo we're reading about, right? <laughs> that's, that's the Solo? No? The uh, Marvel Comics anti-hero who dresses up in green Kevlar <laughs> armor and has guns like the Punisher and teleports. Yeah, yeah. That's We're not reading about that solo. That's not the solo <laughs> that we're reading this month. We're not reading 12 issues of solo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if there were 12 issues of solo ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, when, so... When Solo lives, terror dies. <laughs> Sorry, right. I just, I'm just, I'm just enjoying that way too much. Yeah, that should be a, that should be the tagline <laughs> for this book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just about a character that's completely un- unrelated to this book, but I just thought it'd be funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
anyone <laughs> listening out there who doesn't catch the reference, just Google Marvel Comics Solo. Any of and you solo fans, you solo yeah. heads. <laughs> yeah. Or just maybe Google the catchphrase, when, when Solo lives, terror dies. I always thought that was pretty funny when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's menacing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when you're nine years old. <laughs> yeah, when you're nine years old, it's pretty menacing. <laughs> so anyways, like you were saying, each issue covers a different creator, and it gives it a chance to highlight the various works that they've done. Um, well, not even the various works. It just gives them the the room and the breath to do some short stories that they can do to, uh, you know, I guess just bring attention to their work. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. These aren't collected stories from other other comics either. From as far as I know, they're they're all brand new, exclusively new solo. to yeah, exactly for solo. So yeah, let's let the good people know uh, which artist or which creator are we working with today. Well, today issue one of Solo is by Tim Sale, so we're going to be talking about him. But before we delve into his issue, I did want to say a little bit about Solo as a series, just to give additional context for anyone out there who might have not been paying attention to the series back when it was released. Because this is a series that only lasted 12 issues before being canceled, but it was released bi-monthly from October of 2004 to August 2006. So it's almost 20 years old. It's uh, kind of hard to believe how quickly time has passed because to me, a lot of these comics were comics that still feel relatively fresh in my mind, at least mm. the idea of, or the memory of of me going to the store and buying them off the rack it's not so far back in the past where I feel like it's ancient, but when I realized it's been about 20 years, that's when it kind of hit me that I'm just aging rapidly. We old. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> Solo was collected in hardcover format back in 2013. It might be out of print now. However, it is still available digitally. I know it's available for sure on Hoopla. So if you have a library system that uses Hoopla, you can still find Solo. Otherwise, you might be better off looking in the back issue bins of your local comic shop. Mm. In terms of yeah. its awards, back in 2006, Solo did win three Eisners. It won a short, Best Short Story for Teenage Sidekick by Paul Pope in Solo number three, Best Single Issue in Solo ish- number five by Darwin Cook, and it also won Best Anthology uh specifically uh solo edited by mark chiarello who is the brain he's the solo is kind of the brainchild of mark chiarello so we'll talk a little bit about him to give him his props uh right now i looked up mark chiarello on his website his personal website and in his bio it says mark chiarello is an american painter and illustrator he has done work for among others Lucasfilm, Disney, Mondo, Criterion, Carhartt, Topps, DC, and Marvel Comics. He lives in Burbank, California. Now, Mark Chiarello was a guy who was at DC for 27 years. He was their senior art director 
By all accounts, he was immensely well-respected as an artist, editor, and collaborator. And he was laid off at DC during their massive restructuring under Pamela Lifford back in 2019. Many of his peers and colleagues were shocked and disappointed, and there was a big outpouring of support for him. Is Mark Chiarello a name that's familiar in your mind, Albert? It's not. This is pretty revealing of my ignorance. So unfortunately, I can't really contribute much in terms of my knowledge of of him. Um, I trust that you're probably going to name some things that I do recognize, things that he was associated with that I'll probably be able to say, oh, yeah, I read that or I know that. But off the top of my head, I, I can't say that the name's familiar with me. Yeah. Me. So, OK, so his most well-regarded contributions to DC Comics other than Solo would be Batman, Black and White, mm-hmm. Wednesday Comics, and okay. Darwin Cook's New Frontier. Okay, there we go. Yeah, uh, I'm definitely I'm definitely aware of New Frontier. We've talked about it several times on this podcast, so, you know, it's, it's not an unknown quantity to me. Uh, the Wednesday comics was something that I was aware of because of the novelty of it and because Brian Azzarello's association with it. But I, other than that, I don't think I'd have actually ever read any of it. I might have found some of the random like newspaper quote slash issues, but mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't know where they are now. Um, what was the other thing that you were you said you worked on the first one? Batman, black and white. Oh yeah, I I do remember reading that way way back when. Yeah. Uh, but that was another project that had a bunch of different creators on it. So. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was good stuff was, though. Yeah, he was also responsible for getting Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee to team up for Hush. <sighs> they can't all be winners. <laughs> uh. Even the best of us has a has a has a low game every once in a while. <laughs> uh, now, although he's probably most renowned as an editor and senior art director, he's also a well-respected and skilled artist in his own right. You mentioned some of his vast illustration credits, but he's also done comic book covers and the occasional interior as well. He's contributed covers to things like Marvel Comics Presents and Two-Face Year One. At Vertigo, he did some covers to things like Terminal City, The Crusades, and he also did uh, the covers for Johnny Double, which was an early Azzarello-Rizzo collaboration. He also did the cover and fully painted interiors for the Elseworlds prestige format one-shot Batman Houdini, The Devil's Workshop, which was written by Howard Chaikin and John Francis Moore. You ever read that Batman Houdini Elseworlds? I haven't. That's that one is completely unfamiliar to me. Yeah, I looked it up and I do recognize the cover. I've never actually read a copy of it myself. It's one of those books where if I ever come across that in the bins, I would probably pick it up. Mm. Yeah. Do you well, do you think Batman could beat up Houdini? <laughs> uh geez that depends has does has houdini been working with tesla nikolai tesla 
I figure if we're just pulling things out of nowhere, uh, we'll just really just make it absurd. <laughs> has really has Houdini been bitten by Batman Dracula? Fighting Houdini. <laughs> Is Houdini a thrall of Dracula in this uh, in this fantasy uh, matchup? <laughs> Would it make a difference if Houdini had vampire powers? I guess. <laughs> I guess. I don't know, man. It all sounds pretty ridiculous to me. <laughs> uh, I guess yeah. off the top of my head, I, I imagine that Batman could beat up Houdini. <laughs> if I really, if you, if you were really pushing me into a corner for and and demanding an answer, I'd probably say, yeah, I'm 99% certain that uh, that uh, Batman would beat up Houdini. Yeah, but I'm a hundred percent certain it'd be funnier if Batman was fighting Chris Angel. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty hilarious. Cause that would be a one-sided fight, but I would just pay to watch Batman beat up Chris Angel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that comic doesn't exist. Uh, yeah, it could it could occupy that pretty niche comic genre of superheroes beating up douchebags. Uh, all right so that's a little background on solo it's definitely a prestige project and mark chiarello's editorial acumen and his work in wrangling up the various creators who had an issue i mean i think he had a big influence on the overall project so many props to him Today we're talking about issue one, Tim Sale. I'll just read the bio at the end of the issue so we can all hear a little bit about Tim Sale. Tim Sale was born in 1956 and shortly thereafter studied to be a comic book artist at the legendary John Buscema Comic Art Workshop in New York City. After honing his skills on independent titles such as The Amazon, Billy 99, and Grendel, Devil's Reign, he met and teamed up with Future Comics legend writer Jeff Loeb. Their collaboration, the eight-issue miniseries Challengers of the Unknown, won no major awards, but paved the way for their future Eisner Award-winning Batman and Superman projects. Tim lives in Pasadena, California with, with his dogs Shelby, who was the model for Clark Kent's dog in Superman for All Seasons, and Hotspur who wasn't. He's a fan of the Seattle Mariners, rich French cooking, and the art of Rene Gruau, Saul Tupper, and Juanjo Guarnido. Tim Sale's work can be seen in the DC collections of Batman, Haunted Night, Batman The Long Halloween, Batman Dark Victory, Superman for All Seasons, Challengers of the Unknown Must Die, and Batman Black and White Volume 2. So that's Tim Sale's bio from the end of his issue. The other thing we've got to note is unfortunately Tim Sale passed away a couple years ago in 2022. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not really sure exactly what happened there, but it was it was pretty surprising. Um, I don't think anybody. Sudden. Yeah, I don't think anybody, at least in terms of the fan base, I don't think we really knew he was dealing with any health mm. issues or anything. And, you know, it's not like he was super young, but it wasn't like he was super old either, right? Yeah, so exactly. It, it came as a pretty unexpected shock when it happened. 
Yeah. Mm. What was your first experience with the work of Tim Sale, Albert? <clears throat> All right. So I think I was like a lot of people at the time. Um, way, way, way back when it first came out, I was pretty enthralled by the idea of Batman The Long Halloween. Uh, if you've ever listened to this podcast, you'll know that we don't think too highly of it nowadays. But at the time, it was a pretty stunning piece of work to me. And I think in large part, it was due to Tim Sale's artwork because it was definitely not an art style that I had really seen at that point. It, it certainly wasn't your conventional comic book superhero style kind of art. Um, I would say that as a young man of, I don't even remember how old I was when it came out, but I, I want to say that I was probably in my late teens, early 20s even. But when that comic came out, I do remember... No, I was probably in my teens. I was probably in my later teens when it came out. Now that I think yeah, it came out in 96, 97. Yeah, so I was, let's say 96. I was probably a freshman in high school at that point. So, um, yeah, I remember being, you know, a young, a lad, but a lad, and reading these comics. And then you come across this Tim Sale, Jeff Loeb joint the uh you know the long halloween and the art is just so different that it hit me in this spot at the right time in my life where i think i was aging out of what i considered you know comics that were just for kids or comics that were for younger people i was i was at that point where i was ready to embrace comics as a you know as a true art medium right so mm -hmm, I was mm -hmm. looking at Tim Sale's art and I was saying, see, this isn't this isn't like Jim Lee or this isn't, you know, a Wills Portacio or Rob Liefeld or anything. This guy's look at the way that he draws. It's just its own special brand of art with a capital A. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, so uh, I was pretty hooked right right from the start. You know, it's it's been a while since then and as i've mentioned we've i've i won't speak for you but i've i've grown out of that comic but i still enjoy tim sales art i still do think he's a terrific artist uh but yeah the the long halloween in and of itself isn't something that i uh well i i don't go back to it out of fondness for the story i'll say that much yeah yeah and just for the record, we did podcast about the long Halloween in great depth back in episode 110. So anyone who wants to hear what our thoughts on that story are as adults, check out episode 110. Mm -hmm. But I, yeah, I'm pretty much with you on that. I think I knew about the long Halloween when I was in high school, too, because I remember the trade paperback had come out at some point and I saw some other kids at school uh, flipping through it. I didn't read it at the time, but I recognized the cover. And I think maybe when I was in late high school or maybe even early college is when I finally like sat down and read it. And I, I think that was my first Tim Sale book as well. But after discovering that, it pretty much made me 
go back and look at all of his other Jeff Loeb comics because they did a bunch of stuff together. Um, yeah, I was looking at his list of of credits, and I think I have read all of the Jeff Loeb comics except for Captain America White, which is a pretty weird title. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that was the last one that they did together, and I, I never got around to reading it. But everything else, Challengers of the Unknown, Haunted Night, Wolverine and Gambit, all the Batman books, Superman for all seasons, Daredevil, Spider-Man, Hulk. Yeah, like those were all books that that I consumed, uh, mainly because Tim Sale was a great artist, and I needed to check out everything of his that I could. As far as the mm-hmm. stories, though, I'm not a Jeff Loeb fan at all. And, you know, yeah. it's like you were saying, maybe at the time that was fine for the reader I was back when I was younger. But I've tried revisiting all of those books, and I, I just don't really enjoy them for the writing yeah. or the story. Um, they're just yeah. fun to look at, and I, I really do appreciate the craftsmanship and the artwork. There's no no real – I don't really have any – negative things to say at all about how they look it's more just the the stories themselves and jeff Loeb's contributions to the writing like i, I find that severely lacking for the most part mm-hmm. yeah I, I feel like maybe the one thing that i can say about it is at least his work isn't incredibly dense so if i did read a jeff Loeb comic i could get through it fairly quickly Uh, yeah other than the jeff Loeb comics some of the other tim sale stuff i've read were billy 99 grendel devil child i remember he did some death blow back in the 90s I, i read some of those he also did a superman story written by darwin cook uh i think it was called kryptonite it's a story from superman confidential I never actually read the whole thing. I think I have like four or five of the issues that I found in a bin, but I'm I'm missing like the last issue of it. So I'm hoping if I can ever find that one, I can reread the whole story properly from beginning to end. Interesting fact about that story. Uh, it was the story that inspired the song by Three Doors Down. yeah you can quote albert on that too yeah yeah by the way i'm lying (laughs) just straight up lying for my own personal amusement (laughs) Uh, but anyways (laughs) what would you say were some of tim sale's most notable traits as an artist I do appreciate his line work. I want to say that a lot of his lines are pretty thin. There's a scratchiness to them that's pretty unique. Uh, I'd also say that there's, just in terms of his design, uh, just the way that he draws characters, you can always tell a Tim Sale character or just, just by the way that he draws their faces um like in a good way 
you know mm-hmm. it's, he's definitely mm-hmm. the kind of artist who's just cornered the market with his idiosyncrasy to the point where there really isn't anyone who draws like him uh at least you know who who, who has that signature like look there there are certainly other artists who have their own signature thing going on obviously where if you looked at it you would know off the top of your head that that's them but you know that's a pretty special thing to be listed in that group of artists who is just so uh i guess prolific that you could just show me a panel or a page and i'd be like oh yeah that's tim sale mhm yeah definitely yeah. he's got that um i'm not even exactly sure how you pronounce it chiaroscuro that that treatment of light and shade in his drawings like that's very distinctive in his mm-hmm. artwork and and i think it makes it stand out a lot even when he's yeah. not doing stuff that's specifically noirish he he's still known for that noirish sensibility right and i think that whole style he had of doing that contrast between light and shadow and the, the the way he inked stuff it always made his work stand out and that was kind of his signature like you were saying i also think that he had a great ability to blend style and substance just this distinct talent at emphasizing a specific stylistic trait without sacrificing clarity and information in his storytelling because mm-hmm. A lot of his more popular works, his Batman comics specifically, I think people look at those and automatically associate him with those noirish sensibilities. Yeah. But then when you look at some of his other stuff, like Superman for All Seasons, it shows that he was able to channel a different kind of sensibility there, kind of this Norman Rockwell sensibility, mm-hmm. that, that all-American feeling to it. Um, And I think of something like Spider-Man Blue, which I felt was kind of like a a homage to to like maybe the Spider-Man comics he grew up reading, like the John Romita senior stuff. I felt like he did a good job kind of emulating that kind of romantic style, you know, like there's there was definitely something in Spider-Man Blue. When you look at his art there, it looks different from one of the Batman books or from Superman yeah. for all seasons, you know, like it's, it's still him. Like you can tell it's definitely him, but yeah. Yeah. Like he was just channeling a different vibe, you know, that makes sense. You're like, now that you're mentioning it, I, I totally see it where he's someone who understands lighting and shading enough and its effect on mood that he can use it accurately and effectively to really set the tone for whatever story that he's trying to tell mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. he's he's truly well um adept at that yeah 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 anything else you want to say about tim sale before we move on uh i guess no no i i don't think i really have anything else um yeah we, we can go forward okay Well, one thing that we'll share before we start talking about the episode, Albert actually had a brief interview with Tim Sale when he met him at a convention a few years ago. I think this was, what, 2019? Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah. We still have that clip. I think you posted it back around the time when Tim Sale passed. I forget mm. why we didn't really do anything with it like back in 2019, but we, we still have that audio clip. Um, we'll just play it here for anyone who's who might be interested in hearing some brief comments from Tim Sale himself. And I, I guess the thing that stands out is when we when you, when you asked him like what work of his he would recommend to to anyone who'd be interested in checking his stuff out. He specifically mentioned Solo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just just to, I guess, add a little bit of background. I think I never really did anything with the clip because, quite frankly, I thought I was a little embarrassed by it because I felt like it was kind of amateurish and I just never felt confident enough to, like, post it. And um, yeah, when he passed, it it just felt like it was an important thing that that I should post, uh, that we should post, just because you know um, we just had such reverence for the guy, uh, and you know it, it. I guess it just felt like it was an opportunity lost, and, and you know we never really got to really appreciate him effectively while he was still there yeah yeah so, yeah we'll play that clip hello this is albert lamb again from seattle comic-con this is uh the between the gutters podcast and i'm here currently with tim sale and uh we are going to ask him several questions first of all what comic in your body of work would you recommend to someone who is just getting into comics mr sale uh, it's a book called Solo, and I did the first issue, and only 12 issues of it. Right, right. It's a DC book, yeah. uh, and it's the idea is that it's one artist, but a bunch of different short stories yeah, inside yeah. it. It's 48 pages. Yeah. And again, I did the first one. It's got Catwoman on the cover, right, right. and I, I got to do a lot of different genres, a noir story, superhero story, romance story, awesome. and it feels like yeah, I remember that book. It was uh, it was kind of a. They reached out to a lot of different artists with a lot of variety of styles. Yeah. So I, I and each individual visual. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it was all very beautiful stuff. Uh, I think. Darwin Cook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so number two, what is something that you are currently reading? Um, it doesn't have to be a comic. It could just be anything that gives us a peek inside whatever whatever stimulates you as an artist. Well, I read adventure books, thrillers, and uh, police procedurals and stuff like that. But right now, uh, I'm rereading The Count of Monte Cristo. I'm reading it out loud to my wife, so she's never read it before. <laughs> That's very sweet. That's, um, oh, yeah, that uh, touched me. <laughs> uh, and our final question, um, do you have anything that you're currently working on that you'd like to tell our fans about? Uh, nothing steady, usually covers and stuff like that. Okay. Um, but no, nothing. I there's no big announcements or anything like that. I don't know what's like coming up next. Is there a cover or anything or, that's coming out soon? Or? No, I just I just yeah. said no. I don't. Oh, know. Oh, sorry about that. I just was being clear. Okay. Everything I've done has already come out. Okay. Great. Oh, no, not quite. Well, next week. Yeah. Uh, Detective 1000 is coming out, and I did a variant cover for one of those. Oh, awesome. We'll be looking forward to that then. Okay. Well, thank you for your time, Mr. Sale. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Okay, I'll get out of here.
Okay, you ready to talk about solo number one? Let's do it. Let's hop into this bad boy. Okay, so solo number one has six stories. Richard Starkings was the letterer, Mark Chiarello was the editor, and Michael Siglane was assistant editor. I guess we'll just talk about each story one by one and share any comments that we might have. How's that sound? Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Okay, the first story is called Date Night, and that's night with the K because, you know, Batman is the dark knight. This story, <laughs> <laughs> this story was written by Darwin Cook and colored by Dave Stewart. It's a simple and playful 11-page story about Batman chasing Catwoman through Gotham City. Uh, yeah, any thoughts about Date Night? Um... I guess the one thing that surprised me about it, and it's not something that I was uh, aware of at the time, just because, again, I am just, I don't always pay attention to a lot of the details. But yeah, I I was surprised to find that Darwin Cook had written this one. So that was, that was, uh, that was new. Uh, In terms of the actual story itself, you know, it's, it's like you said, there really isn't much to it. It's just, I guess if I had to say it would be a highlight of just Tim Sale's ability to, I guess, capture an action sequence and just the playfulness of this cat and mouse game that Batman and Selina have uh, as they chase, as as he chases her through the city, right? Is, is so Batman the mouse? Uh, well, you know what I mean. <laughs> the she's the cat, but the game is. Would you rather I call it tag? <laughs> this game of tag that they're playing. <laughs> no, I think I would rather DC change her name to Mouse Woman. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. I guess the one thing that I do notice about this that this story that I do appreciate is it opens up on this one panel where you get this city shot and it's nighttime but the city's just lit up it's all oranges and purples and mm-hmm. it's a really warm picture of Gotham which is so different than what you're accustomed to seeing when it comes to Gotham to the point where I think most people, when they think of Gotham, they think of it as this really black and dreary place. But yeah. in this one opening uh, page, uh, Batman is there. He's scoping out the scene, and then he sees Catwoman. And then when you turn the page, there's this just giant splash of both of them just smashing through a window over overlooking the entire city. And the whole city is just lit up in orange and yellow. And I just think it's such a... It's such a great color scheme. It's such a mood, you know? I was going to say, it goes back to what you were saying about how like Tim Sale is able to, to capture so much in his coloring that even though Batman's such a noirish character, he's doing something here where he's putting Batman and just through the color alone, he's changed the, the feeling and the sense of the entire scene. And 
even just the overall world that they live in just just through this change in color scheme yeah yeah dave stewart was the colors for this one but i imagine he probably talked to tim sale about how they envisioned the the pages to look to me it, it kind of feels like there's an intentional an intentional desire to give it that halloween vibe because it's batman and tim sales known for the long halloween i mm. i don't know if that was the case but i wonder if that had anything to do with the the orange color scheme because a lot of the other backgrounds even when you don't necessarily see the full cityscape it's still got this orange or even like a reddish orange and sometimes brownish hue, hue. yeah 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 but it, it really gives that vibe. Yeah. I wanted to mention one other scene uh, that I do enjoy. It's on page 15 of Hoopla, but it's uh, it's the scene where Batman has just crashed into this cart of roses. And once you turn the page, Catwoman's getting away. And yeah. if you just look at her po- her posture, she's got a rose in her mouth and she just looks almost like a Looney Tunes character. Yeah. Like, do you remember Pepe Le Pew, uh, <laughs> the, the, the really rapey skunk in, in the cartoon? <laughs> yeah. I remember. <laughs> you remember? Yeah. And you remember how um, one of his signature features was <laughs> the thing about him was he was always chasing this cat. That was the running gag, was there was always a cat that was. Uh, that would get a stripe down its back or something. And this skunk, Pepe Le Pew the skunk, would be super chasing this cat down because he was just this big old horn dog. And this cat would just be trying to get away like crazy. And she'd be like running frantically. And Pepe Le Pew would just be hopping around on all fours. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it didn't matter how fast and how frantically she she was moving to try to get away. But he would always catch up with her, which is, you know, really kind of messed up if you think about it in terms in the context of this being a kid's cartoon but okay sure whatever (laughs) (laughs) but the way that uh peppy Le would hop in pursuit of this girl cat that reminds me of how catwoman's body is right now when she as she's hopping away from batman because her 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 hands are together her feet are together and she's almost doing like a bunny hop away from this rose cart that they just crashed into and Batman's yeah. all, you know, angry and trying to get her. And I just think that's a super play- playful picture. Really well done. Yeah, definitely. Tef- definitely. The story feels like it was an excuse for Tim Sale to draw Darwin Cook's Catwoman design, which is just about one of the best costumes in superhero comics. Yeah. And you could tell that he reason. relished it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He, yeah. It looked like he really had fun. When you look at the the contrast between the characters, Batman is brooding, all frowns and growls, pretty much the entire story, while Catwoman is just brimming with smiles and she just looks vivacious. You know, like the whole every time you you see her face in the in the story, she's smiling and playful and having the time of her life. And it's not until the final splash page that we finally see a hint of a smile on Batman's face, perhaps hinting that he enjoys their little date night escapades as much as she does. Mm. Mm. I think the other thing that jumps out with this story is the the splash pages, because there are three double page splashes and one 
one-page splash. So it really does feel like a chance for Tim Sale to just cut loose and have fun drawing for the sake of drawing, you know, just for the joy of making art. It's mm, just, mm. yeah, really fun to look at. The scene with Catwoman and Batman smashing through the window in the beginning. And then there's another scene in the middle where they smash through the window of a restaurant and you see all these people who are fine dining dressed up to the nines. They're just shocked by what's happening as as uh, these two ruffians smash through the window. And then <laughs> there's another s- splash where they're, uh, I guess, I don't know if you want to call it dancing or whatever. They're just doing their 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 chase across this rooftop in front of a massive billboard for some old-timey-looking movie. Mm. Yeah, and then the final splash page, the final page of the story when you have Batman upside down and he's got Catwoman's lipstick all over his face. Yeah, yeah. It's super playful, you know, just... Just another reminder of the many layers of Tim Sale. Again, he's someone, I think, up to this point where he's been known for just his dark, noirish stories. And, you know, that's kind of what people have come to expect from him. But just there's just a reminder that he's just got so many layers and he's able to communicate so much of what so much of uh so much more than just uh you know the grim and gritty stuff or or the mood stuff you know yeah yeah Mm. it's it's the story in this issue that i think is drawn in what most people would probably consider the iconic tim sale style because it looks Mm. it's the one that looks the most like his work on the long halloween i don't know what do you think of that you agree uh i mean i i think it's kind of splitting hairs for me to say that it's done in his most iconic style. Like, uh, I, I think all of it is, yeah, I guess he does experiment a little in the other stories. So I guess in that sense, it's conventional Tim sale. If you really had to label it, but yeah, I, I wasn't really necessarily thinking about it in those terms. Mm, okay. Cause, cause to me, yeah. when I was looking at the stories here, it felt like he, he intentionally or made a conscious decision to, do each story in a in a different style like they're all recognizably his work yeah yeah to me they still look they like have flourishes yeah exactly yeah. yeah i could see that i mean i don't think i had thought of it in in the bigger context of any anything like a theme or anything like that but now that you mention it i, I get it yeah yeah anything else you want to say about this first story or should we move on to the next one we can move on to the next one Okay, the next story is Christina, which is a five-pager written by Sale himself. Mm-hmm. How would you describe the story Christina, Albert? Uh, it's the story of a young man who reflects upon his youth. And early on, well, I'll just go into it, but early on, I, I kind of thought it was, you know, something more reflective or something personal that he was telling but then it turns out that the character that he's writing is actually uh pontificating about their own life as they are about to murder this woman uh that they are hired to take out but 
at the end of it, he just can't do it. And he finds that the only way to get out of his debt is to kill himself because, you know, he loves the woman too much to harm her, but he still owes a debt to, you know, the mobster that hired him to kill her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I'm missing any 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 important parts. Yeah, I mean, as a story, I thought it was... Okay, first of all, in terms of his art style, it is different from the previous Batman story in that the color scheme of this is... I think I can... I'm not really good with this stuff, but I, I would wager to say it's sepia-toned. I think so. I it, it, it looks yeah. like his... It looks like he he did his own coloring on this one because there's no credit for another colorist. It also looks yeah. to me it looks like it's maybe watercolor and ink. Yeah. But yeah. I'm not good at knowing all the technical stuff of different mediums of coloring. Yeah. Painting. Yeah. We're not we're clearly not artists and not adept at all yeah. the various processes involved in making art. So. You know, this is super layman on our end as we just kind of fumble and look for the words to describe it. But yeah, it does from the brush strokes. It does look like it's a uh, watercolor, like especially that first page of it where you get the sunset at a beach. And if you look at the horizon or right above the horizon, you can see it sort of looks like cloud or mist or something, but it. It feels like it's uh, watercolor brush strokes there. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, as, as you move up from the scenes, uh, it's very minimalist. You, you really don't get that much in terms of things to look at. But, you know, it's still well done nonetheless because it's just him using his minimalism to effectively tell this story. Uh, a lot of just scenery shots as he slowly builds up to the big reveal that this place where this young man experienced the tragedy of uh, well no not the tragedy but this place where this young man experienced this fond memory of his life and where he's going to enact this murder at the same time and just the yeah. i guess the irony of these contradictory things taking place at at a place that has like such fond memories for him yeah it's a darkly romantic crime story with a twist ending and it it really did uh kind of trick me i remember reading this and with the first few panels it it feels like it almost could have been maybe an autobiographical story exactly exactly yeah it's like it, it feels like it's about the the narrator reminiscing about his past and there's some nostalgic elements to it and yeah a romantic element holding the woman's hand but then you get to the bottom of the third page and you see some narration that says i had brought her here to kill her <laughs> yeah I, yeah at that point i was like oh I don't think this is actually based on his life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's kind of what I thought too, which was uh, I, I had braced myself for this really deep uh, personal story uh, that I was going to hear about his life, but then it just ended up being, you know, a murder story. <laughs> yeah. Nothing wrong with that, of course. <laughs> yeah. Nothing wrong with that. It, It's a good twist. I do like that twist. Yeah. And I, I think the ending was, 
was something that I had to kind of look at a little bit because maybe you can clear, clear things up for me. But when I looked at the last page of this story, it looks like the narrator killed himself by jumping off a cliff. Is is that what happened, or oh, is it or is it him like drowning himself and just being washed back to shore? I think when I thought of it, I thought he had drowned himself, but yeah, that's that's a I don't know. I I guess you could go and surmise that he threw himself off a cliff, but I it's. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, know. when you look at the picture, it it looks like um in the bottom right corner, it looks like those could be like maybe footprints. So maybe he did just like walk into the water or something. But on yeah, I wasn't entirely clear how the guy killed himself. I just know yeah. that he killed himself. He did exactly. It kind of reminds me of this one panel from The Dark Knight Returns, and I didn't find out till years later, but. Uh, it's this panel in Dark Knight Returns where Alfred, okay, where Batman has set his trap up for Superman, and then, you know, as part of his planning, what he's done is he's established it so that Alfred is gonna destroy this cliff or destroy the the mansion, right? Do you know the scene I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so um, Alfred destroys the mansion and then he passes out from a stroke. And that's kind of the the last moment of Alfred, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he but I'm, he dies, right? He he doesn't actually pass out. He dies. Yeah, he dies. He dies. Yeah. But that's the funny thing is, for the longest time, I always thought he fell off a cliff or something. I really wasn't <laughs> sure what happened to him in that scene. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because the way that they draw it, you just see Alfred kind of standing there, and then. There's no real background. It's just him standing there against a backdrop of blue. And then in the next panel, he passed out. So I was like, oh, I don't, I, I guess he threw himself off a cliff. Oh, I really wasn't <laughs> sure what happened. And then it wasn't until years later where I think I was listening to, to a podcast and they were like, oh, yeah, he had a stroke in that moment and he died. He like collapsed. <laughs> I was like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Any other thoughts on Christina? Well, okay. That, I I did have one last thought, which okay. it's it's kind of funny, or I thought it was kind of funny. Um, so the way that they set up the story is that the main character is kind of in this tight situation because he he owes this debt to this gangster and what the gangster wants him to do is he wants him to kill his wife, which is the woman that, uh, this, this guy is with. Right. Yeah. I'm understanding that. Right. Yeah. But this guy has an impossible choice to make because he loves this woman. So his solution is I can't pay off my debt, but if I kill myself, there will be no one to uh there'll be no reason for him to try to collect this debt and i won't have to kill this woman is essentially his thought process right which is taking a pretty big chance on her life yeah yeah exactly you get what i'm saying right <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's funny to me cuz i was like thinking about it and i was like well if this guy really wants his wife dead you killing yourself doesn't change that i mean he's just going to find someone else to do it yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That's true. Okay. Shall we move on to Young Love? Let's do it to it. Young Love is written by Diana Schutz and colored by Dave Stewart. This one is a Supergirl story. I'd characterize it as a forlorn romance story. It's eight pages. Probably my favorite story out of the bunch in this issue. So it's about Supergirl's romance, uh, Linda Lee as her identity. Um, It's about Linda Lee's romance with a guy named Richard, but her secret identity as Supergirl prevents her from being totally honest with him. And you just kind of see them at different points in life when they reconnect a couple times over the years. And there's always like this connection between them. But the twist is that um, the last time they meet, he's known all along that she's Supergirl. But unfortunately, he has terminal cancer. So all they can really do is say goodbye. And it just ends Mm -hmm. on this downbeat note where she realizes that for all her vaunted power, she can't stop everything from killing everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I had a pretty fond uh reaction to this story too. It's it's done in sort of a classic comic book style. There's a bunch of these little dots kind of yeah. Uh, uh, it harkens back to the old days of comics when that's how they colored everything with the use of uh all this the dot coloring dot coloring, yeah. Yeah, it, it, reminds it me of definitely pointillism. Point yeah. Yeah, yeah. It it looks like a style reminiscent of old 50s and 60s romance comics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it it had a pretty good twist to it towards the end where, you know, Supergirl came to this planet and there was this guy that was always kind of teasing her and you know they there's this whole big will you, will they won't they sort of thing going on and in the very end it's revealed that he knew all along and yeah like you said there wasn't really much that they could do or that she could do in spite of it yeah exactly even though the early part of the story is upbeat i think tim sales shading in his artwork still stands out and then when you get to the last few pages, when the tone and tenor of the story changes, that's when his work gets exceptionally evocative, Like especially those hospital scenes. And then the very last splash page that ends the yeah. story when Supergirl or Linda is just sitting in her, in her house in the dark. Or I guess there's yeah. a, a fireplace and a couple of candles, but she's basically in the dark and reminiscing about everything that just happened it just looks the way that it's framed and the way that she's drawn just looks so lonely and and sad yeah i I really yeah felt the emotion in the story yeah and one of the things that i'd want to mention is you know just to go with what you were saying in terms of the progression of the color scheme as the story becomes more serious over time uh when you start out the story supergirls in her pretty traditional color scheme there's a lot of red there's blue it's 
it's pretty bright it's pretty obvious what what colors she is but as you progress into the story once she goes into the hospital her costume just becomes this almost pitch black against red which yeah is a pretty cool effect yeah but yeah again, the lighting is really well way. done yeah exactly just another way to really communicate just mood through the changing of colors Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think i just really gravitated towards this story because it's i think the writing was probably the best out of the other stories in in the issue just in terms of the the narration and the dialogue and the the structure of it so i i liked that and then the the old style of coloring worked for me with this kind of romance comic style of story like that mm-hmm. that was effective and then like i was saying the the modern sensibilities that tim sale brought into it with his shading and um yeah just those last few pages i, I thought that was pretty impactful like that's something that stands out i, I still remember this story even from when I first read this comic, you know, 20 something years ago when it came out, like it was always the one that stood out to me. So when we were rereading this issue, that was the thing that I remembered the most other than the Batman Catwoman story. Mm-hmm. All right. You got anything else to say about this one or you want to move on to the next one? We can move on. The next story is called Prom Night. This one is written by Jeff Loeb and colored by Jose Villarubia. Mm -hmm. This one is six pages. It's essentially like a lost episode from Superman for all seasons, right down to the art style, wouldn't you say? That makes sense. It's it's a story that takes place in Clark's past, and they even start out with Ma Kent saying, I'm not sure that I've ever told anyone or that he's ever told anyone this story. You know, but it's about this one time that Clark went to prom with Lana and how while, you know, while he's Superman and he's got all these powers, you know, he just has the same problems with girls that we all do. And on the night of the prom, as he's driving out, he sees someone stuck in the mud and, you know, Clark being Clark decides to go help her even though it might mean that there's a delay or who knows what he helps this woman this old lady out of uh he helps her car out of the mud but she just hauls ass and she just soaks him drenches him in mud and by the end of it he goes to the uh he goes up you know into the atmosphere i don't know the rain clouds it's already into the raining yeah So he flies up into the rain, washes off his suit, comes and picks up Lana and, you know, proceeds to have a a core memory happen by. (laughs) Nice, man. Core memory. You sound like a modern person. Yeah. Oh, I try to. Um, (laughs) You you ain't that old, Albert. You talk like a regular (laughs) modern human being. I can relate to people. Yeah, man. Uh, but yeah, I 
for for all the stuff that we have to say about Jeff Loeb, though, I did find this story charming in its way. Like maybe maybe it's a situation where he didn't have a lot of pages to work with, so the damage that he could do is pretty limited. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's a story about Superman being Superman at at his core and in a you know, kindness. Even, Exactly. Even when it was something that would be a detriment to him on this big night, he still went out of his way to to help someone. So I got no problem with that. You know, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. it's better than a story where Superman kills Jimmy Olsen because Jimmy Olsen was holding a family hostage. <laughs> <laughs> it makes more sense to me than that. <laughs> Now um, I want to read a story where Jimmy Olsen holds somebody hostage. <laughs> yeah. And this really is a story that because it takes place in a very particular time in Superman's history and his youth, I guess it really does capture the folksiness of the era. It's Yeah, like when you described his Superman for all seasons as Tim Sale channeling his inner uh, Norman Rockwell to really depict a cozy and charming Americana sort of life. Uh, Yeah, that's absolutely what I'm seeing here. You know, it's just a very uh, warm and folksy interpretation of superman's world right down to the very last pan uh last image of the story which is this black and white picture of superman and lana as they're at the soda shop at the soda shop with an r (laughs) drinking a pap (laughs) what is it the general store (laughs) yeah exactly exactly this was before general stores just sold fentanyl (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's how you know this is truly rooted in the <laughs> the past glory days of america yeah yeah <laughs> i do like how tim sale draws clark though he draws clark with this body language that that really makes it convincing that people wouldn't suspect him to be Superboy or superman or whatever you know like he just looks like uh, not exactly an oaf necessarily, <laughs> but he he looks like a kid who grew up, you know, hauling bales of hay for his dad on the farm. And yeah, maybe he like the way like his body language is. It's it, he doesn't look like the most, um, you know, self conscious or confident kind of person. But yeah. he's just he's just a big guy. But during those scenes yeah. when when he's uh flying up into the into the cloud like that's when you see that sort of traditional superman body language yeah 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 no you're you're that's a really good point because you know for all of his might and all of his power as superman i think the thing that makes him the most human is that he can in spite of those attributes still feel 
so human because he can be self-conscious or he can be uh doubting of himself right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so uh yeah it's 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 a fun little flourish to to superman yeah definitely anything else mm, don't think so shall we move on to the next do it to it all right the next story is titled Low Card in the Hole. It is written by Azarello and or should I say Brian Azarello? It's <laughs> seven pages. <laughs> and this one is a crime noir story about a fixer named Deuce who is haunted by his past. He once had to kill his lover because her man hired him to kill her for infidelity, not oh, realizing that she was cheating on him with Deuce himself. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you think of Low Card in the Hole, Albert? Uh so again, just just to show how little I pay attention sometimes. Um I, I wasn't aware that this was Brian Azzarello until before uh, we started this episode of the podcast when we were looking at the credits. I was like, oh, okay. No, oh, okay. That. <laughs> Are the credits listed in the in the trade paper in the hardcover or the collected edition? They're listed in the hoopla, but I just again I don't necessarily always read for uh uh to process. I just read for speed a lot of the times. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. But because in the issue, the single issue that I have, the the first page of the comic has a list of all the comic of all the stories, as well as the credits of who wrote the stuff and and if there's a colorist. But then like the other thing is that right before each story inside the comic, there's like a title page that, you know, specifically says the name of the story and any additional credits so yeah that's how like it 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 stands out like it's not something where it's only in the credits or in the contents but it's actually like right before every story okay i don't think i have that here so i would have like the only time i saw it was right at the beginning of the chapter or issue when when you uh when you look at the credits so yeah at the contents yeah. yeah yeah exactly um yeah, I guess so thinking about it with that understanding, it it does feel like it's in Azarello and and Jeff Loeb's wheelhouse in the sense that Jeff Loeb again uh, not Jeff Loeb, uh uh Oh okay. Azarello and Tim Sale's wheelhouse in that they you know, it's a very conventionally noir story. So it's definitely one that has a lot of those trappings. The fact that there's a femme fatale who's in this really striking red, even though everything else is in bleak black. And right down to the lipstick that she has that's just so indicative of how alluring and yet dangerous she is, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think... This for me is more of a story that is funner to look at than it is something that I'm really processing in terms of what the actual story is. Because 
I don't. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know that there's really much going on there other than this guy's guilt and once you get to the end of it uh you know his murder and the i guess you could call it the consequences of 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 the life he's led right sure sure yeah yeah i don't know yeah i i, I don't re- know if i really had much to say about it other than that Oops. i kind of felt like there was a bit of an unexplained element or perhaps it's yeah. a, like a supernatural element to the story that I, I didn't fully grasp but yeah i was wondering how did deuce get mortally wounded because like the oh. story is pretty straightforward as we go yeah. through it um he you know he he leaves the place where he performed his latest hit and then he's walking on the street and you see clearly it, it's you know populated there are other people walking on the streets that night and then he sees Lindy, he sees the woman, the femme fatale, and they start to have a conversation. And then you realize that he's seeing more of a vision or, you know, maybe this is either a vision or something supernatural. But you realize that Lindy was somebody that he killed in the past. And you see that her red dress um you know, it fades away into just being a, a white dress and the only red on her body is her own blood from the bullets that he pumped into her. And then yeah. as as he starts talking to her after that revelation to the reader, you see him crouched on the ground and you slowly see that he's, he's the one who's bleeding out. Hmm. And then that's yeah. why at the very end, he realizes that he ends up in hell and it's gray and empty and he's alone. But I, I guess I was just wondering, like, how did he get mortally wounded like that? Like, what was the thing that, that happened? But I, I, maybe it's one of those things where there is no real explanation. You just, it's more about the mood and the atmosphere yeah. more than yeah. anything. Yeah, exactly. Because they don't really give you an explanation for, unless you just go and tell yourself that it was a ghost or something. But I guess in a larger sense, it's it's what I had said earlier, where it's just the consequences of the life he's led, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's not, in in terms of the practical storytelling, it doesn't really explain much of anything to you. You just kind of have to take it on face value that this is what happened to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do really like the artwork in this story though i think it's got some of the most striking imagery in in the whole issue like that opening page when you see deuce in the in the office after he's killed that guy just the way that the shadows are is really beautiful and even the hint um of color when you when you can see through the window there's like some red lights outside of the building the way that kind of lights up the interior is pretty fascinating. And then, of course, on the second page, when you see Lindy walking on the sidewalk, um, you know, she, she's there's like almost a spotlight on her, but she still you can't see her face. You just see her dress and her figure. That's a really striking image. Then on the third page, that first panel, when you see Deuce shocked to see Lindy like that shot of his face i thought that was a pretty incredible drawing how 
his face is just partially lit up while all these people are walking in the background behind him, oblivious to whatever it is he's seeing. Um, then the panel where you see Lindy with the bullet holes in her body, that's a pretty memorable one. And then mm. that final page, that very last panel, um, I think that's a particularly striking image, the way that Deuce is just framed in the center of the panel, um, you know, basically like in front of the vanishing point of the of the drawing, as you see like the city streets recede and everything is just incredibly detailed. All the buildings have all the windows and you can, you, you know, you can count the bricks or whatever. And yeah, it's, I think after seeing all the, all the black ink on the previous pages, just how that last panel is all these gray tones, it really stands out to me. Like that's another panel where even after 20 something years, I still remembered it. Mm. It's just powerful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I do like that last page too, where, you know, maybe they don't explicitly say that it's hell, but for him to wake up after being stabbed in the gut and just to be in such a starkly different world, it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's effective. I just would have to really think about, again, once you once you really put yourself in a position where you try to break it down and try to make sense of it, maybe it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but you know, it's, it might just be a thing where that's not really the point. So yeah. Yeah. Which is fine. It's, it's good looking shot. Mm-hmm. All right. Shall we cover the last story? Let's do it. The last okay. story. Oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, the final story in the issue is called I Concentrate on You. This is a three-page story that was written and colored by Sale himself. Yeah. How would you summarize this story, Albert? I believe this was a story about how his parents met. Or not met, but, you know, it's, it's a story about his parents and... Um, you know, a story from their past about their romance, their romance with one another. Exactly. Uh, but other than that, there's really not much to it. It's, I mean, you know, in terms of story, uh, it's, it's pretty, like you said, it's three pages. It's kind of bare bones, but, uh, it's him, his, I want to say it's his father reminiscing about the music that was playing when, he saw her and uh you know just about them spending this time together um in his room as they embrace and then it jumps to the modern modern day where it ends with her uh, his mother saying because it was the way i always thought it should be it was sweet that's why and his father responds really Yes, really. And I can't believe it's taken you 50 years to ask. So I get to that scene and I'm really not sure what they're responding to. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't know what I, I assume that, you know, it was him asking her to marry him. But or 
to kiss him i i really wasn't sure what 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 the question was what it was exactly um she he had waited 50 years to ask did you have any thoughts on that i was actually confused too this was a story that i i didn't understand even though because it was only three pages i reread it multiple times but i just yeah. couldn't make the connection like i i kind of grasped the concept it, it starts with this scene in 1952 as a young couple enjoying a date with each other discuss I think they're discussing Frank Sinatra's rendition of the song, I Concentrate on You. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you see them dancing at a, I guess it's a club probably. Um, and then they go home and turn on the radio and dance in the living room. And then they share a kiss. And for some reason, the lady sheds a tear and the guy looks kind of uneasy as she rests her head on his shoulder. And then mm-hmm. it cuts to the last two panels that are in the present day and and the couple you know they're much older now and they have the dialogue that you just read out loud and i i wasn't able to draw the connection between yeah. those final two <laughs> panels and everything that came before it yeah but sale yeah. dedicates the story for mom and dad at the end of the comic so maybe yeah. it's just this really personal or even private tribute to a real conversation that his parents had and yeah as an outsider i just don't really I can't make the connection. Like I can kind of, yeah. I get the basic idea of, you know, they've had this really long, um, you know, decades long romance with each other and yeah. relationship, but I, I don't really understand the significance of the dialogue itself. Yeah. I think, I think for me, the thing about the story is, even though I don't necessarily know what it was about, maybe I'm just a sucker or a sap because the the second that I saw that it was dedicated to his parents and you know, and the moment that I realized that it's you know the the love story of of his parents, there's a part of me that sort of gives it a pass for in terms of like my need for it to make sense. Yeah, <laughs> and I just yeah. kind of went, oh, that's sweet. Okay, sure, why not? <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those stories that works as a vibe kind of piece. You know, yeah, like it's, yeah. it's about the vibes and the atmosphere and and the feeling and the emotion. Even though I, I can't really explain the dialogue, I can't really explain, the, yeah, the story in full. Like I get the gist of it, I think, and mm-hmm. you know, I can appreciate the beautiful sentiments and i guess that'll have to be good enough enough yeah <laughs> but if somebody out there listening can explain the story to us please let us know yeah, so we don't have yeah. to live our lives in ignorance <laughs> um the one thing that needs to be mentioned about this is that the style that the story is done in is everything has this green yellowish hue to it um and you know that's a pretty noticeable contrast to every other story that we've seen so far in this issue um heck i i'd even say i don't think i've ever really seen anything like this in any other comic uh i don't know i don't i'm not entirely sure what it's supposed to communicate but it looks interesting yeah instead of being just plain old black and white there's a a certain like monochrome tone to it it kind of reminds yeah. me of 
uh, I feel like I've seen some Darwin Cook comics like this, you know, like maybe his mm. his uh, Parker graphic novels. I'd, I'd have to like oh, go yeah, back yeah, yeah, and yeah. flip through them just to see if that matches what is in my memory because it's been a while since I've read those. But yeah, yeah, I, I do think that there are people, other artists who have like similar kind of noirish sensibilities who have who have done um color schemes d- done art with color schemes kind of similar to this that's mm-hmm. what it reminds me of yeah it's definitely but, different yeah it's interesting to me visually because it's a uh, it's got a romantic tone to it but being tim sale with all the shadows and and the heavy use of blacks it still kind of has that that noirish tone. Like I'm just looking yeah. at the last page, and um, well, I guess the second page and the third page. There's a couple panels of the couple in their living room, and the way that the shades are drawn, you know, just the the black stripes. That's always something that stands out to me as a very noirish effect. Mm-hmm. It's. It's a pretty weird choice now that you mention it because I hadn't thought of Parker, but I do think that Parker is a good comparison here because I feel like, especially in the covers, what I remember of Parker is from the covers, yeah. uh, using that that specific hue of green. And I don't know. Um I don't know why he would apply it to this romance story or this story about his parents and their romance, but or what if what if Darwin Cook saw this story and then decided to apply that to Parker? <laughs> That's true. For all we know, he missed the point. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But yeah. It's uh it's definitely a unique looking uh three pages. Mm-hmm. There's something about that color that's kind of eye-catching. It kind of reminds me of like Army Men or something, or of, uh, <laughs> Wrigley's chewing gum. Heck of a connection. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's pretty random, but then again, it's a random choice of color for him. So there we go. <laughs> well, any final thoughts about Solo Number One? Uh. I guess the one thought that I have is, you know, just in in terms of preparing people for what we're going to go through as we do our 12 12 month read through of this book. Um, You know, you kind of mentioned it earlier, but this this is going to be a a pretty different experience for us. And it's going to be one that requires that we reach into, into the depths of our creative wordplay in order to you know find ways to describe the the art style of it all as as you know as layman's but yeah yeah yeah. it's always one of the biggest challenges when we're talking about something that's i mean comic books are obviously very visual Mm. but when you're talking about a series that probably relies more on its visuals than the actual contents of the stories it kind of makes a podcast more challenging because we've got to describe what it is we're seeing when you know in in all in all likelihood it'd probably be a lot easier or maybe even more fun for the listener to watch a youtube video where yeah we break down and you know we can show 
and point at the things that we're referring to. But exactly. I don't know. Hopefully, it's, this is still worth listening to. Yeah. It's as much an exercise for us because there are only so many ways that I can say that it looks good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we we exactly. just kind of have to struggle to find the the different words that we need. This to... comic is pretty. This comic yeah. <laughs> is beautiful. This comic is nice looking. This comic is visually appealing. <laughs> There we go. We've we've expended all of our definitions. We're done. <laughs> Me am like comic. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so um, it'll be an exercise for us to to find the words and to accurately articulate all the thing, all the different things that we observe, and hopefully we can make some good observations doing it. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. The one thing I noticed or I guess the one thing that really struck me after finishing my reread of this issue and then kind of thinking about what the underlying recurring motifs are, it makes me really wish that Tim Sale had been able to draw a a really lengthy romance comic. I feel like he certainly had an affinity for romance. And when you look at all six of the stories here, all of the stories in this issue had some kind of romantic element. Mm. Some of those romantic elements were draped in noir and death and crime. Yeah. But it's still there, you know, like yeah. the first story, Batman and Catwoman there. It's very, it's a very playful idea of romance. Christina has this very uh, nostalgic and meditative look on romance up until the point where it turns into a, a twisted murder, murder story. <laughs> yeah. Young love is a, an unrequited romance story. Prom night, a very lovely Superman or Clark Kent and Lana Lang uh, date story. Low yeah. card in the hole is about a guy who regretted killing his lover. And then I concentrate yeah. on you about, Tim Sale's parents, you know, just the romance permeates every single story here. And I, I really wish that we had been able to get a comic where Tim Sale could just go ham on doing romance stuff. Romance. Yeah. Or, you know, one might even call it a true romance. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah. I was going to say if you go and listen to. Uh, the interview that I did with him, one of the bits that jumps out at me is when I ask him, you know, what what is he reading right now? Mm. Um, he tells this, he tells a pretty brief story about how at the moment he's reading The Count of Monte Cristo with his wife because she had never read it before. And I was, I was pretty moved by that because it just seemed like such a sweet thing to do, uh, you know, with, with his, his partner. Yeah. With yeah. his wife to spend time reading together like that you know i don't i don't really know if people really do that anymore uh i don't know what the modern day equivalent watching tiktoks with your girlfriend um, <laughs> <laughs> hey albert you just you just killed a romantic moment <laughs> thanks i have that ability <laughs> that's your mutant power <laughs> But yeah, I mean, when when he said that, 
uh, I, I just thought that was an incredibly sweet thing to say. And, you know, it's just a testament to, you know, the kind of guy that he was. Mm-hmm. Mm. Finally, Albert, I got to ask you, how would you rank the stories in solo number one? What's your ranking of the stories here? Ooh, okay. So what do I got? I got Prom Night. That was the one by Jeff Loeb. See, uh, I can I can give him a little bit of credit once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Christina, and then Young Love, Low Card in the Hole, I Concentrate on You, and then Date Night. Those okay, were... Okay. That was that was my ranking. What you got? My favorite is Young Love. And then after that, I have Low Card in the Hole, Date Night, Christina, Prom Night, and I Concentrate on You. That's my ranking. All right. All right. Nice. Okay. I'm curious. If anyone out there listening wants to share their favorite stories from this issue, feel free to hit us up. Yeah, yeah. I mean that since we've opened that up, like yeah, feel free to contribute to the conversation and you can email us at between the gutters at podcast at gmail dot com. Or yep. you can X at us or you can thread at us or you can use carrier pigeons and send it to us. We'll find it somehow. Don't ask us how, but we will. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Albert. You have any Tim Sale recommendations for the end of our episode. Ish. Uh, <laughs> this one's a bit of a cheat, but I'm going to put it out here anyways. Uh, Tim Sale, black and white, revised and expanded. It is a Tim Sale art book. So if you want to just look at more Tim Sale art, that is what I would recommend. Nice. Nice. Yeah. If you I ever come across that, I'd, I'd have to pick it up. Um. This one's kind of a cheat, too. I was thinking maybe Superman Kryptonite, the Superman Confidential story I mentioned that was written by Darwin Cook. The the caveat is that I don't think I ever fully read the entire story. And I have, like, I think five out of the six issues of it, but I'm missing the last one. So I, I don't actually... I couldn't tell you how it ends or anything. But that's probably one that I'd be most excited to to foist on people. But other than that, I guess Superman for All Seasons or Challengers of the Unknown, because those are the Loeb comics I hate the least. <laughs> man. I don't know, man. Even Loeb is a hard guy to like. Uh, I mean, his his comics are definitely hard to like, but the man is also kind of... An, he yeah. has his moments. <laughs> yeah. I don't mean good moments either. (laughs) (laughs) Let me clarify that. Yeah. But honestly, if you get any Tim Sale comic, you'll have a good time just looking at the art. Yeah. Yeah. I I think (laughs) here's what I said was telling Drew earlier. uh, And the thing about it is the one good thing about all his work with uh, Jeff Loeb is at least Jeff Loeb isn't dense. So you could really easily read through a lot of those comics and not necessarily have to process too much. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, heck, even if you don't read the words and you just look at the pictures, you're probably you're probably already winning at that point. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think the story is still, you can still 
get enough from the art to understand the story. It conveys what's going on. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, if nothing else. If you happen to be listening to us on a platform of any sort and you want to help us out, please give us a good rating. Please like, share, and subscribe. Like we we do this as a passion project. We do this out of love, but we will also want people to listen to us and to hear us and to, you know, join our conversation and uh, you know, make this endeavor well worth it for us. That's right. Next week we're gonna have a, another bye week. It'll it'll be a planned one because I believe Albert is going on another trip. But the week after that, we will return with what I think will be a fun book to revisit because I haven't read it in quite a few years. But we're gonna be talking about a Marvel uh, series called Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane by Sean McKeever, Takeshi Miyazawa, and a few other artists. So, yeah, I look forward to that. Yeah, it is our our Valentine's episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. This is Between the Gutters. Peace out. Bye.